Welcome to the Nerd Normie Podcast. I'm a big film nerd, Everett. And I'm Emerald, and I'm engaged to a nerd. <laughs> Woo! All right. On this week's episode, we will be covering Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. As well as The Little Mermaid, directed by Rob Marshall. We will, for both of these movies, start with no spoilers, uh, and then move into spoilers, and there will be time codes down in the description below. All right, here we go. Miles! Want to get out of here? All right, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This movie, I honestly, initially, when it was first announced, not that I wasn't excited for it, because I love the first one, but I was worried that a sequel could not live up to how much I love um, Into the Spider-Verse. But then I started seeing some trailers and hearing some buzz about it, and I was like, okay, now I'm worried my expectations are too high. Um, But this movie met and even exceeded those expectations. I loved this movie. It is incredible. Yeah, I did not like the first one. I thought it was boring and predictable. I mean, it's a kid's movie, so it's supposed to be boring and predictable, but I just, it didn't get to me, but I really liked this one. I thought it was funny. Um, I thought it was intense when it needed to be. The art styles were really good. I I really liked this one. Yeah, talking about the art style, I know the, the first one was kind of, you know, revolutionary, kind of groundbreaking, whatever, for doing that hand drawn on top of 3D animation. Uh, creating that real comic book style and using dot shading and stuff like that to really create that comic book feel. Um, And this movie does that, but it really leans into having unique art styles for each Spider-Verse they go to. In particular, when you spend time in uh, Spider-Gwen's world, I loved it. It looked like watercolor paintings. It's constantly changing behind them to fit their mood. It's very interpretive and expressive as opposed to based in some sort of reality and just looks kind of comic booky. Like she'll be, you know, she's white with blonde hair with a bit of pink dye. Sometimes she'll just be completely blue and her room will be green and then it'll change shots and suddenly she's purple and the room has gone pink because she's starting to feel a little bit better and then something happens and every the tones go darker and the background is always like dripping almost and in slight motion and becomes real abstract. And I just, I really liked the direction they went with both that world. And then just all the other worlds had a unique, fun feel and it wasn't confusing or overdone or wasted, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie, just to kind of give a general overview, it basically picks up from the first movie, A Little Time Has Passed. Um, and we start off actually catching up with Gwen and what she's been up to slash how she got here and a bit more of her backstory. It's almost like a short film to start the movie about Gwen. Um, and then we get back to Miles Morales and his, his vocal performance. I was really impressed with, like, he just sounded so much like a teenager and I really, really enjoyed, um, how he he portrayed that role um and so basically he has this new kind of villain who thinks he's his nemesis because he's back from his past the spot um and he's in the trailers and stuff uh, and it just kind of all unravels from there of 
course, he ends up in the Spider-Verse, and Spider-Man 2099 is there, and he's really intense and dramatic, and there's also hundreds and hundreds of other Spider-Men all across these different worlds and stuff, and uh, basically, Miles Morales is at odds with the way these Spider-Men are kind of running things at the moment. He wants to do it his own way kind of stuff, and there's there's a little bit of like a cocky teenager against the establishment at times but other times you know is he right is he wrong and it's really they do a great job similar um i compared this movie to everything everywhere all at once just in terms of innovative visuals and great multiverse storytelling um and similar to that movie it really focuses down on these personal choices that miles has to make as opposed to just being about crazy worlds and fun spider-men popping out of nowhere yeah i think this one the reason i didn't like the original is because they're doing so many multiverse things now that it was just really predictable and not very like obviously the art style was unique but it was pretty much a straightforward story i feel like this one does focus a lot on like choices and morality like he was saying and I found the story to be not like unpredictable but just like surprising along the way and like the choices that everyone had to make were surprising because they were so human even in this like fantastical world yeah um a strength of this movie which is always a good idea for movies and is usually what people hate about bad movies all of the characters make logical decisions and feel like humans. You don't ever, even people who are bad guys, good guys, gray area guys, like everyone makes the decision that makes sense for them and their character. It's never just I'm evil for the sake of being evil and I'm going to be good and make the right call every time because that's who I am. Um, it really does a good job of fleshing these people out and making them make mistakes and make good choices bad choices hard choices choices we don't even know what the consequences will be yet um and that just always works really well for a movie um but yeah other than that i just i gotta say this is one of my easily my favorite movie i've seen so far this year one of my favorites of the last two years i mean everything everywhere all at once and the menu last year were really fantastic but this one for me is really rewatchable um, and I am excited to see where where it all goes next but now we're gonna head into spoilers all right here are spoilers spoilers for spider-man across spider-verse please skip ahead if you do not want to hear them and I highly recommend that you do if you have any interest in seeing this movie um, go in blind yep all right here we go uh, where to start so this follows at the beginning Gwen as she is, you know, being a troubled teen and her dad is after Spider Gwen, basically, and is trying to capture her because he thinks that she killed Peter Parker in her universe. Um, and she ends up teaming up with this other team of Spider-Men who basically go universe to universe to capture these anomalies that are threatening their universes, basically. Um, it's kind of similar if you've seen Loki. Uh, the premise of Loki is 
anomalies and variances where the timeline gets broken and someone appears in the wrong place they go they fix them and get them back to where they're supposed to be so that nothing goes wrong with the quote-unquote canon timeline yep and her dad finds out that she's spider gwen right when she's about to leave with the other people and she doesn't want to face that so she basically runs away um and then it switches over to following miles again yeah and he's you know still himself late to everything trying to juggle 15 million things and not letting anyone help him uh except kind of his friend roommate at his dorm uh but his friend roommate does not want to really be a part of anything just wants to play video games so not you know the best guy to recruit as your helper yep um and yeah so he fights the spot who it turns out back in the first movie he hit him with the bagel the famous scene when the guy gets hit in the head with the bagel and says bagel um but then also is they're doing experiments when he is when they're using the collider or kingpin's trying to get that going and stuff um and so when it explodes it hits this guy the spot um and essentially infects him with multiversal holes um, and so it starts out there just kind of transport very classic like portal you throw it one place it allows you to reach through and instantly come out the other spot um, but as he kind of learns a bit more he falls inside of himself um, and unlocks the multiverse and is able because he's you know a crazy multiverse scientist guy to enhance this and decides he's going to universe trot and gain power and go everywhere there's another reactor that he can steal even more power so that he can come back and absolutely ruin miles's life and destroy everything about him because nobody wants to look at this weird spot man anymore and he's had everything taken away from him yep and so um gwen is sent to miles's universe to stop the spot and capture him because he's now an anomaly and um she pretends like she was there to visit miles and they hang out for a minute and he ends up following her back to the spider-man warehouse where all the (laughs) spider-men are from every multiverse who's been helping um and the whole time everyone's like oh yeah miles we don't want you here like yeah and they're coming up with excuses oh it's a small team then they get there and there's thousands of them oh well they're all part-time and oh there's this and oh you know i didn't want to bother you and so it's like you know something's up um but you don't necessarily know exactly what it is yet and why miles is so important to all of this um and i will say that is one thing they usually do these things and stuff like this where it just happens to be because they're the main character they're the one hero tied up in all of this they did such a good job of making it feel important that it's miles and that he is not just the main character therefore he's relevant he is relevant and therefore he's the main character um and that is because you find out he is the original anomaly the guy who becomes the spot was doing multiverse experiments and brought over a spider from universe 42 and that's the spider that bites miles and that's why peter parker ends up dying in that universe in the first movie now miles morales is having this kind of retrofitted canon spider-man life um and why he doesn't quite fit in with everyone else and work out quite the same way um 
And later in the movie, to just jump ahead real quick, we end up visiting Earth-42, and it looks very similar. And at first, I was like, something's up. And I know it said it sent him to 42, so is this the wrong world? And then I kind of forgot that I was thinking that and was just like, oh, yeah, he's back home, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then his, he's like, I'm Spider-Man to his mom. finally, And she goes, oh, who's Spider-Man? Like, what? That means nothing to me. He doesn't exist in this universe. And then you find out he's in universe 42, um, which was pretty crazy. Yeah. But to um, go. To go back. Back. Um, before he finds out that he's the anomaly, they go to a different Spider-Man universe and he ends up stopping a canon event. So, um, and, uh, was it Mumbatan? Mumbatan, yeah. Mumbai, Manhattan. It's a India inspired, um, Manhattan, which was super fun. And the, the Spider-Man there was adorable. So, so fun. Cute so and festive. So fun. Um, but yeah, so he stops a canon event and saves the police captain in that universe. And that's also trouble because, that helps unravel things. Yeah. And so the universe, that universe starts to kind of collapse in on itself and they're trying to contain it and whatever. Um, but again, we find out like when, similar to how when she went to visit him, she's not really supposed to talk to him or help him or really reveal these things to him, but she can't really kind of help herself. Um, there's a moment right before he saves the captain uh that she's like no like we gotta go and he's like oh no you're just trying to protect me i've got this and he goes and saves the captain and she knows that this is going to potentially destroy this entire universe but he doesn't and so then later when he finds out all of this stuff he's like wait you were trying to stop me so that that guy could die instead of stopping me because you were trying to protect me and that just is a whole again like it's the classic kind of question and Spider-Man 2099 literally says this to him, like, is it worth, is one life worth the entire universe? You know, is saving that one police captain worth potentially destroying the whole universe? Yes. And in this movie, you find out that Miles's dad is about to be promoted to police captain. And while he's fighting the spot, he has this like premonition of his dad dying, trying to save a child, which is a canon event. Yeah. And so, naturally, teenage Miles Morales, who is slightly cocky and always things kind of go his way and he's able to make it work out and whatever, decides, no, I'm I'm not letting my dad die. Fair enough. I don't think I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Dad. So he, you know, outruns and outwits all of these Spider-Men. Which was super fun so he gets them all to chase him or whatever and they're all like kind of making what's your plan you have no plan you have no idea what's going on um and then he's like well i did lure all these spider-men out here and then he just jumps off and is able to get back to the to the special lab yeah HQ. because in the hq there's this machine that reads your dna and will send you back to wherever your home is from that dna which is what they're doing with all the anomalies so that they're not in the other universes anymore um and so he does it on himself but it reads the spider's dna and not his so that's how he ends up back in the other universe um and in that one, his Uncle Aaron's still alive because there's no Spider-Man. But not only that, his Uncle Aaron is not the, the Prowler. Prowler. He is. Yeah. And so the movie ends on a huge cliffhanger, which I did not know was coming. 
you heard somebody kind of mention that there was a cliffhanger ending in the lobby. Well, I didn't know if it was that movie, but I saw these two teens leaving and they go, I just wish it didn't end on a cliffhanger. And I'm like, I don't think they're that upset about Fast and Furious, so it must be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the basically he gets captured by his uncle Aaron um, and strapped to a punching bag or whatever. And he thinks this whole time that Aaron's the, the prowler. Um, and then the actual Prowler comes out and reveals himself to be this universe's Miles. Um, and then the movie ends. Yeah. <laughs> Just says, to be continued. Oh, um, another thing that does happen before the ending is Gwen goes back to her world. Mm-hmm. And she finds out that her, because her dad is also a police captain who should be dying, according to canon. But he quits the force. So this kind of opens new things i feel like for the upcoming movie to be able to break canon events basically because if he's not police captain he doesn't have to die yeah and it it is very much this clearly sets up for this next movie the idea of like does it have to be just because it always has been you know and so it really it really is going to be so interesting to see this next movie how he gets out of earth 42 and away from himself and how he ends up hopefully saving his father or all of that kind of stuff um apologies if you can hear our cat in the background he is screaming like a madman to get outside yeah um he's very upset because we don't allow him to go outdoors because we want him to be safe and he wants to explore and cause mayhem so apologies for that but back to spider-man um yeah it really i can't wait now for this sequel i am so excited to see where it goes um i think also to talk more about spider-man 2099 and his whole role in this he's so bitter and serious and a very grumpy spider-man as compared to everyone else because he got this chance or came across this universe and was able to live his life and insert himself when he another version of him had like died or whatever and grow up with his kid and raise his child and all of this stuff and it ended up destroying that whole universe and he and peter b parker from the first movie kind of witnessed this whole destruction and i kind of wonder if it i'm not quite sure but could it have been peter b parker's world in some capacity or how he was involved in that i'm not sure i'm sure they'll explain that better in the second movie um because it's not his world because he goes home to Mary Jane but something some reason Peter B. Parker is there and sad about this event having happened um, and yeah so he's you know witnessed the entire destruction of the universe because he selfishly wanted time with his kid selfishly I say in air quotes because again fair enough Yeah. Um, and so he's now laser focused on making sure no other universes get destroyed and that he saves everyone's lives and so he takes this insanely seriously as you would um and that's why he basically like can't comprehend that miles is dumb enough to go back and try and stop this because he's like if you stop it your whole universe dies and then not just your father dies everyone is going to die and Miles is like, no, I'm Spider-Man. It's all going to work out. And so he's going to go back and try and stop it. Yeah. We have a few theories. We think, like, maybe because he wasn't supposed to be Spider-Man because he got bit by accident and it 
should have been Peter Parker. Maybe he doesn't have to live the canon life, but yeah, we'll see. Or maybe, you know, as we mentioned a little bit ago, like when her father stepping down kind of sidesteps canon and creates new timelines and stuff. And maybe she'll learn something that is able to help resolve this whole situation. Um, but yeah, I really, I think the only thing about this movie that I did not love there's a few too many multiverse cameos and a little too long particularly it was fun to see donald glover for a moment especially because he's live action um and he's um uncle aaron in the like mcu movies vaguely he's supposed to be we've never really spent a lot of time with him but he's there as that character um and so he pops up in this and is like haha i'm here and then because fans love him and all of that he then even like 10 minutes later comes back again on screen for just like a second and i'm like all right this is a little much and there's a lot of references to andrew garfield because there's been like a whole renaissance with um no way home everyone loving that spider-man again um it even shows a clip of that movie with him yeah 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 so it's just like a little there were not too many moments of it, but a few moments where I was like, this is already a two hour and 15 minute movie, two hour, 20 minute movie. And it's for kids. And we're throwing in all these in jokes for the parents. Like there's enough jokes and comedy stuff that works on its own that we don't need those moments to keep the parents happy per se. Um, and so I think just like being a little more focused on this movie could have been a bit better. Uh, but really, that's my only only kind of complaint about it, I think. I really liked Spider-Punk guy. Oh, yeah, Spider-Punk. Um, he I was th- fun. The, there was also a lot of um, cameos to the game stuff, and, like, you can play as Spider-Punk, and the game version of him's there in the game's animation style of Spider-Man. Um, and, again, there's a lot of the featured Spider-Men are from either games or recent movies which is fair enough again because you don't want to either invent new ones or pull from very obscure stuff all the time um but that did get a little old but yeah spider punk was very funny my question (laughs) how old is he how old is gwen miles is 15 miles is 15 gwen is older than miles because she always talks about how he's just a kid but he has a crush on her yeah and i'm always worried because she does seem a bit older there's lots of references to her staying over at spider punk's universe and she leaves her sweater and toothbrush there and stuff like clearly she's staying over but but... it's not like he really cared about her i don't think that they had anything romantic i think that maybe she's his gwen like the way that miles loves yeah i could definitely 100 percent see that and just like again she's running away and has no universe and she drums in his band and she drums in his band so like again it makes sense that she would crash in his universe in a completely like platonic friend way i'm just like there were a few hints and stuff to kind of make you from miles perspective think it's romantic and then also between miles and gwen there's a little hint at potential future romance there's a little bit of like age gappiness that i really hope they handle well i hope miles ends up with that cute cameo computer nerd girl she was so cute and he had a crush on her it looked like yeah they kind of 
made but, eyes. <laughs> yeah, they, they connected there for a minute. And, and then she, helped she, him, yeah. she helps him get away in the end. Like, she has a moment where she could stop him from getting to Earth-42. Um, and she's like, mm, I'm going to delay here for just five seconds so he can get away and do his thing. Yeah. Um, so I could see, like, in the next movie them really blossoming as a and him just being friends with Gwen, which, again, is what I hope happens. But I worry... <laughs> that they'll just kind of sidestep the age thing and just be like, yeah, they're nebulous. They're, he's 15 and she's... 17. She's 17 and Spider-Punk's only 18. 19, 19, 18 19. 19, yeah. only two years. It's not that weird. And I just, I don't want to think about any of that or deal with any of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I... This is truly one of the most visually stunning films of the last five, ten years, and that includes the first spider-verse which has some incredible shots and really awesome animation i think this one pushes the bar they're more comfortable in what it is they maybe have a few too many upside down shots but i love upside down shots so i'm okay with that um but yeah it is it is well worth a watch all right well i don't know why i'm asking but what would you rate this this is a 10 out of 10 for me shocking I <laughs> loved it i cannot wait to watch it again i don't know if i'll be able to wait for it to come to streaming even if you don't come with me i might just go by myself some morning <laughs> he also just really likes this kind of animation he also rated puss in boots the last wish uh, a 10 out of 10 also a phenomenal movie <laughs> it's cute yeah they're great movies i like and pixar's trying with elemental but I like, yes, we can do really realistic looking stuff, but that's not interesting. What's interesting is the fact that animation can do stuff you can't do in live action. So instead of just trying to recreate a live action movie, use your medium and push the boundaries and let the artists create art. And they really do that fully in this movie. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, I'm going to love it. I'd give this one maybe an eight, which yeah. is good because the yeah. first one I'd give maybe a three. Which is wild. I I just, the one thing that movie isn't is boring because it's nonstop funny action, cool. And I think it's just as personal and just as like, it's also a 10 out of 10 for me. And I, I just can't comprehend it, but whatever. We're not talking about that one right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to continue that, that conversation after we stop recording. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that wraps up Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Seriously, go watch this movie. I've said that a few times already this year, but there really have been some great movies. Um, and yeah, we are now going to move on to The Little Mermaid. We are supposed to be the good guys. We are. All right. So my pick this week was The Little Mermaid. Um, it is directed by... Pew, pew, pew. Rob Marshall and stars Halle Bailey, Jonah Howard King, and Melissa McCarthy. Um, I didn't know this till after we watched it. Apparently Everett thought it was going to be bad and didn't want to go. But uh, we both liked it. Um, yeah. It was cute. I think it was good for one of the live action remakes. Yeah, that's why I wasn't excited for this. I've only, I haven't seen all the live action remakes. I've seen a few of them. I've seen parts of other ones. I haven't really enjoyed any of them. Me either. And so The Little Mermaid to begin with is already not one of my favorites. And that might be part of why I enjoyed this one. I wasn't as familiar with the story. I haven't seen it 10, 20 times in my childhood and and on. Um, so like 
there were some potential like twists and turns that just follow the original story but for me were kind of sort of new i knew the the gist of the story and what happens but like i didn't remember um and this is not really a spoiler because again this is based almost entirely on the movie but that when she gives up her um like voice and mermaidness that she goes mute totally forgot that that happened (laughs) and so she goes mute. i was like wow that's crazy i can't believe they're actually just gonna have her be silent for half of this movie um and it worked great it was fun yeah um i loved melissa mccarthy's casting as ursula i think she was the most accurate from cartoon to live action i also think prince eric but she does not i didn't think he was gonna be cute i thought he was boring looking and i really had a crush on prince eric growing up but he was really cute once the movie actually started and we saw more of him yeah i loved him yeah uh but melissa mccarthy was perfect to me i think she sang the like songs perfectly i think her mannerisms were perfect i i really liked her as ursula um yeah eric was eric was cute um i think him and hallie bailey had had really good chemistry good, good chemistry um yeah their their romance is believable it's not just like i'm on land now Ooh, i see guy he cute i love yeah like it actually it makes sense and i think part of that um from again what limited i remember i don't even remember prince eric ever really talking or being in the movie in the original and he is far more of a character and they spend a lot of time with him he gets his own song he gets a backstory yeah you actually learn who he is and it matches up really well with who ariel is and so put them together in these situations and of course they're going to kind of develop feelings for each other and it's not like instant oh my god we're so in love it actually like kind of grows and is cute and is fun um yeah um and then ariel i think she had a pretty singing voice i did not think that she was the best actress in it i thought she was fantastic i thought she was really strong i think part of what i really liked is if you strip this back and actually look at the line she was asked to say and the things she was asked to do a lot of them are kind of dumb and very exposition-y and you don't feel that and I think that's the mark of a really strong actor and a really good emerging talent here Um, I think she has a very bright future Um, again I don't think anyone in this movie is like Oscar worthy performances best thing ever but for a Disney live action remake you can't ask for much more of someone being asked to tell you the backstory of who mermaids are and why she wants to go do these things and say (laughs) these goofy lines that are from the original that if she doesn't say them even though they might slightly be out of context fans might get upset yeah i mean maybe it was the writing but there was just a lot of moments that i feel like could have had any emotion and again it's a kids movie so you know maybe that's why they're not trying to make it these oscar worthy moments but it was just kind of they kind of fell flat for me on an emotional level, but that could have also been because her dad was right. just... <laughs> Javier Bardem, one of the most talented actors out there working today. Love him in so many great roles. He is 
awful. Yeah, he is not good. <laughs> I don't think... I think he's just... He's out of his depth. He's. I don't really remember him being in too many big blockbusters, green screen, fast, horrible CGI monstrosities. And 90% of his body is CGI. All his scenes are underwater, so all of the backgrounds are CGI. He's full digi-double replacement stuff. It's not easy for an actor, particularly one who comes from a background of not doing these types of movies or had like a kind of in-betweeny movie. He's used to just acting with the other actors across from him, not by himself on a green screen talking to a crab who's not there. Yeah. And it shows. It really, it's either he just doesn't feel comfortable and they didn't give him enough time to get comfortable and or whatever, or he was just like sick. $10 million paycheck or whatever they paid him for this movie. I'm just going to cash that in. I'm going to show up on a green screen set for four days and just run through these lines as fast as I can and get home and buy a new car. Because, like, obviously the talent is there. Like, he can yeah. make himself cry <laughs> for the scenes when he needs to, but there's just no, <laughs> like, He hits emotion. all the notes of, like, okay, you need to be yelling and then go soft and cry. And he yells and then he's soft. And he cries. And on paper, it seems like he'd be perfect for it. Like, he looks like King Triton. Yeah. But... He doesn't feel <laughs> like King Triton. So yeah. it could have been that, that I felt like Ariel fell flat. Because it's also hard to judge her acting when the rest of the movie she can't speak. Yeah. So all of her talking lines, for the most part, are with Javier Bardem. And he's... Yeah. It's or, rough. <laughs> again, kind of in this situation, acting opposite Flounder, Scuttle, yeah. Sebastian, all these animated, fully CG characters. So she's just alone on a rock on a green screen saying lines by herself. And then they take her voice away and physical acting without like being able to use your words and stuff is the hardest part. And what sets, you know, the top of the, the top of the top away from everyone else and not that, again, she's bad or won't ever reach that, but she's young and learning how to act. And so it's not necessarily the world's greatest silent performance. Yeah. But when you look at what she's being asked to do, I think she does a commendable job. And given a more normal movie, <laughs> could do a really great job. Yeah, I don't think she's per se a bad actress. Like, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. I just think this was a tough role and it wasn't the best performance. It, it was, it was like if you saw something like at a theater, you know, like they're obviously skilled. They got the part, but it's not like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see, you know, I can't, I think they deserve an Oscar. It's just like, oh yeah, that was some, that was a good show. Woo woo. <laughs> yeah. Um, outside of Javier Bardem, who, again, I do love, but not in this role. Uh, I think my biggest complaint is the lack of consistency in this movie in terms of the commitment to, is this going to be full fantasy, bright colors, flashy, or is this going to be serious drama, intense movie? You know, it starts and everyone's in dirty uniforms and on a gray sky and the ocean and dramatic and super serious pirates of the caribbean Pir vibes. yeah it's very pirates of the caribbean and then it flips and we're underwater and you know it starts where everything's gray and you know the seaweed's all really dark and 
the stones are all black and intense and stuff even in the kingdom and all of that yeah you almost can't even see like the mermaids and yeah stuff. and then the mermaids swim through and they're all like neon spotted crazy stripes crazy designs and they look really out of place for the environment they built but then like 10 minutes later you sing under the sea and it's fully bright like the everything is super clear all of the animals are crazy bright fun colors there's fantasy octopi that are like you know have these like blue fading to purple and crazy colors and neon and stuff that she's riding around on and like really fun and bright and then we cut back to another scene and the scene after that is like on ground and all of the grass is like dying and muted but they're in the caribbean like it can be bright the one thing the caribbean's known for is like it's blue oceans all of these oceans are really dark yeah and so yeah i just i feel like this movie would have been better i think it would have been really bad if they committed fully to the drama and treated this like the most serious intense movie of all time i think that would have gone poorly um and but i also i can see why they were a little afraid to go the full color fun bright route because you want it to be taken seriously but i i don't know like i think a good middle ground uh, is like a finding nemo type ocean where it's not in your face bright everything's neon but it's not pitch black in every shadow. Yeah. Um, another thing that was odd is that they did try... A little bit of the acting was like that, too, where it was like they couldn't decide if this was a kid's movie or if it was like a serious movie. And there's this, the classic super famous scene where Ariel goes up on the rock. Everyone oh knows it. Everyone's seen it. Whatever. In this movie, she's like almost stalking them yeah and she's like scuttling across the rock like a (laughs) horse it's literally like samara crawling out of the well in the ring like it's horrifying (laughs) and she's like crawling across the rock like this before like she gets up and the wave hits her in the classic scene and terrifying i think this again is one of those moments and it kind of speaks to the whole kind of issue with this film is translating something that was animated into live action ariel moves across a rock and the water hits up behind her works in animation because you can make her move however you want draw it to look good you cannot make an actual human slide across the rock (laughs) and then have water spray up behind them and have it look like they're not some creepy weird scuttling person like it just doesn't so scary (laughs) yeah and i think that happened a lot for me in this movie where it's like i know this is based and they just like i think they struggled with that balance of recreating the scene to work for live action versus just shot for shot recreating it um and another area it kind of struggles like flounder why in this world why can't we have a fish who's yellow all over why did he need to realistically have the light bottom of a what fish typically have so predators can't see him and faded stripes on his sides and just a little uh yellow on top with a little bit of his hair like this is a world of mermaids and octopi lady and all of this crazy stuff why why can't we have a yellow fish 
who's just a bit brighter and whose mouth moves a little bit more expressively. You know, I didn't actually have too much of an issue with Flounder and Sebastian and um, Sebastian Scuttle. was fine. And I think Scuttle was fine. I don't know, like, if it was the performances behind them that made them a little bit more feel alive or the fact that they just were in it a bit more and could move themselves as opposed to like flounder can swim but scuttle was flying all over the place and sebastian's coming on land and grabbing stuff and jumping places and flounder just kind of swims around and is there yep um yeah i think that's all we really have to say non-spoiler edition there's not too many spoilers that we're gonna give but just in case we'll give a warning yeah you you've all seen the little mermaid i'm sure and if you haven't go watch the original go watch first. the original um but yeah this it was good i enjoyed myself i had way more fun than i was expecting to i was not looking forward to this particularly and yet i got caught up in the story and it's fun and it's great for the family and gonna be a blast oh yeah the girl in the row in front of us <laughs> was cackling the whole time she was laughing and laughing and laughing she was having the time of yeah, her life she was probably like four five yeah. years old yeah i would say probably three or four Maybe. she was yeah. a little one yeah i will say at the end it does get a little intense and the mom had to dive across to try and cover her eyes a few times yeah. um but, but nothing that nothing bad it's the same as the cartoon but you know you're translating that into yeah it's again that thing of like you know harm happening to a cartoon character is traumatic harm happening to an actual actor is a little bit more intense because it feels more realistic um so you know i'm sure you know your child you know the kind of movies they can handle all right spoilers for the little mermaid uh skip ahead to well i guess that's the end of the podcast so enjoy (laughs) um but yeah here we go spoilers um so the first thing i'm gonna say is that ariel's costume sucked sucked bad um she was wearing a spandex like tube top for her shirt when all the other mermaids had like these cool makeup swim tops like shell that scales whatever that morphed into their skin of them and like yeah they're not wearing a costume super cool super fun don't know why they gave ariel the worst costumes in the movie yeah my guess is just because she has so much more screen time they wanted a costume that's easier for her to get in and out of instead of making her sit in makeup for six hours every morning and then acting for 10 and then getting out of makeup but it it looks pretty rough yeah um yeah so there's not too much different with this movie versus the cartoon um they do kind of make sense of i know a lot of people had an issue casting for ariel uh because she does not look like the cartoon but triton talks to all seven of his daughters and all seven of them take place in a different sea and all of them are the race of whatever sea that they are inhabiting yeah um and ariel lives right under the caribbean obviously she's gonna look caribbean yeah sorry not sorry (laughs) um just getting that out of the way because people are stupid um (laughs) but yeah so she does have her sisters in it i wish they would have been given more screen time at the end when all the mermaids come out her sisters aren't even there question mark which was weird some of them were 
one of them was at least i, I thought i recognized like two or three maybe but they might not my favorite one and it bummed me yeah. out so the mermaids show up all, all at the end to like send them off at their wedding and it's just like out of nowhere they're all of a sudden like and we'll be here with you too and then like 50 mermaids just appear on rocks next to these guys and they've had you know lifelong blood feuds or whatever and they're all just like ah oh, cool nice yeah. to see you here and it's just like i and, get what they're going for yeah because but. now that you know prince eric and ariel have married that island and the mermaids now have like a bond whatever and triton's getting over his fear and he's letting the mermaids come to the surface and they're trying to do that without having to super explain it to the audience but it's weird and creepy and they look so out of place and awkward and horrible especially yeah. because everything that's been on land so far has been so dull like Everett was saying with the color grade. And then these like neon fantastical hot pink merman are just flapping their little fins on rocks. And it it's weird looking. Yeah. Um, I think another, the only thing you can really spoil about this movie is, I guess, Prince Eric's backstory. Because it's pretty much the only major difference. Yes. Um, but with his backstory, I feel like it gives ariel and eric a reason to be together which they don't have in the original yeah um so like he was apparently he was orphaned in a shipwreck when he was really young and the queen of this castle takes him in and raises him as her own um and he just has this love of adventure and wants to see the world and, and reopen a, their trade ports a fascination of the sea oh crazy um <laughs> and so you know he's just he's out on an adventure at the start of the movie and there he doesn't want to go home he's having the time of his life he's seeing all these cool things and discovering all these treasures and trading with all these people and meeting these different cultures and just having an amazing experience um and then he gets home and they're almost to home and they crash on some rocks uh, and he nearly dies. Yeah, this is where Ariel starts her fascination with him. You know, she watches him and he's so kind and so sweet. The rest of them are like, not, not mean, but they're just like, he's standoutish because yeah. he cares about people. Yeah, he's going around making sure everyone's having a good time, helping people with their chores. And, you know, he's not a prince who's just standing on the bow of the ship looking out over the ocean. He's actually helping the crew and yeah. trying to, you know, then when they start to crash, he's right there in the thick saving of it. Saving them. Yeah. And saving the dog, yeah. Max. And... Ariel's listening to him explain how he doesn't want to be the prince because he wasn't born into it and he wants this adventure and stuff and her being the princess of the sea who also wants this adventure and has this fascination on land she kind of zeroes in on him and is like yep that's the man for me he gets it <laughs> and that makes sense you yep. know um and Ariel ends up saving the dog and helping him swim over to the boat which is really cute and then she saves eric and he immediately falls in love with her because and they do a good job of actually you know i don't know if it's even mentioned in the original again i don't really remember it but like it's the kind of if you think about it the logical conclusion of what's might be happening yeah, but they explain it in this one but they're very ma make sure you understand she sings her siren song to save him and in doing that, that's why he's so fixated on her yeah. and, like, in love with her because she's a siren and that's what they do. Um, so it makes sense. <laughs> and I think something they did that's really smart is he's unconscious when she's singing to him and he's slowly coming to and he kind of sees the figure of a woman and then 
people come to rescue him so she runs away so he never actually saw her and he just becomes obsessed with the, the girl voice. yeah the girl and the, the voice. voice and he's desperate to find her so then when she trades her voice and everything to be on land with ursula um she can't speak and he can't hear her voice and so they then actually get to know each other and she's curious and wanders into like his study and he gets to show her all these things he's collected and she's genuinely interested and so they just like go have a great couple days together just getting to know who they are even though she can't speak it's not like she can't speak and he just tells her everything that is she's actually out in the world meeting people experiencing things and he's watching her explore the world the way he likes to and so they fall for each other ursula i don't know if this happens in the original because i haven't seen it in a while but ursula also adds something into the spell that she puts on ariel where ariel no matter how hard she tries or no matter who tells her she can't remember that she has to kiss eric within these three days so anything romantic that happens between them feels genuine it's not like her being like oh i have to kiss him so i can be a person it's like oh i want to kiss him because we like each other yeah and uh yeah so and then ursula you know and the end of the movie she comes back and she's stolen ariel's voice so she's able to sing and use the siren song and he just 180 flips i'm in love with this new random girl who showed up um and the his Oh, what was his name? The, like, advisor guy um, is uh, Sir Grimsby is, like, uh, excuse me, you were head over heels for this other girl. What What is happening here? So he knows something's up. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, he falls for this new woman, and then um, Ariel comes and smashes it and gets her voice back, and he realizes, and then they go to kiss, but, oh, no, the sun's already set already set and then we have more scary crawling across the ground more (laughs) more squirming around lots of shimmying in this movie both in music numbers and not yeah um um one thing i will say is that there was a lot of complaints that the girl who plays ursula when she's on land vanessa that she has a better voice than halle bailey and also you guys are stupid if you think that because it's halle bailey's voice that's the whole thing is that she sings with ariel's voice yeah so (laughs) yeah um yeah and so then they go into the ocean eric goes to try and be with her whatever she has to fight ursula uh and then this is where the two kind of traumatic moments for children happen first up king triton gets shot with his own trident no, he gets electrocuted by the you... eels. Oh, I thought it was she shot him with his trident thing. I thought they'd already killed the eels at this point. Oh. Anyway, he gets hit with something. He gets electrocuted and it like shows all the bones in his face and he just slowly disintegrates. Like the way that they would like if you get electrocuted in a cartoon, you know? Yeah, and then like his eyes roll back and his skin shrivels up and he just fades down into the abyss. Yeah super spooky yeah um <laughs> very intense very mother gothel in tangled vibes but, but with, with a, a real, real person actor. yeah um so again it adds that level of intensity and then they fight ursula in the big swirling thing uh whirlpool uh and 
of course, as we know, she gets impaled by a ship at the end. Um, Ariel steal, uh, steers the ship in this one, not Prince Eric, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Ariel spins the wheel because she saw Prince Eric do that before to steer the ship and stuff. She's like, ah, I know how this works and does it. Sends the ship right at Ursula and it does the thing. And I thought it was going to be like, oh, OK, this is a good way to get around stabbing Melissa McCarthy, who also uh, real quick when she goes giant looks creepy like her skin goes all gray and they like add gills to her face and like it doesn't look like just large melissa mccarthy which is probably for the best because that could have looked pretty silly it already looked kind of silly but um anyway so she steers the ship and it like shows the point of the ship coming right at her cuts to her face big gasp and then cuts wide and there's like lightning going on and you just watch the ship thing go into her stomach and right through her and that's when the mom in front of us leapt across to try and cover her daughter's eyes. Because, again, watching it in a cartoon, yeah, it's traumatic, yeah, it's intense, but it's cartoons. This feels real world. And so I can I can see where these two moments could be a little troubling. Yeah. And, again, they're so juxtaposed to the rest of the movie, which is very kid-friendly. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have an issue with that. My biggest issue is just how bad the underwater scenes looked because obviously they can't film them underwater, but holy cow, were they bad looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks very cheesy, very bad. Um, it, it feels, my guess is this was also shot during COVID, um, which may or may not have really played too much of a role, but it really felt just like they didn't consult the visual effects people did not give them time to do the effects properly and just rush this movie out. And so I don't know if it was like, oh, they needed fewer people on set because of COVID, so they didn't have a, a supervisor on set or what the reasoning is. But yeah, it was it was rough and I I feel for the the artists. Yeah. Um, and Jodie Benson also has a little cameo in this. She played the original voice of Ariel, and that was cute for me. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What would you rate this one out of 10? Um, in terms of the live action remakes, I would give it like an eight because, you know, all of them have been yeah. very poor. Um, in terms of movies, like would I watch it again, my own personal rating, I'd give it maybe a six. Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar out of the ranking of the live actions it's easily the best so i'll again give it kind of like an eight it could be better i think there are, will be better ones in the future um but this one's pretty commendable uh in terms of personal movies five maybe six because there were some really fun moments i think actually aquafina was really good as scuttle i was worried because she's in a lot of stuff now and yeah. some of her stuff is starting to kind of go the way of your stretch too thin but i really liked her in this yeah, and I really liked Prince Eric's song. I, it started and I went, oh no, this is going to be bad because Jasmine's song in the live action Aladdin, like 20 minutes long, so boring. Not the, the girl who played Jasmine was the best one in that movie, but the song was rough. But Eric's song, I really liked it. I thought he had a very good voice. It was one of the things that made me find him charming. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what... Uh whatever his actor's name is, and Halle Bailey do next, because I think there's more to come from both of them. But really they do agree. a great job in this. Yep. All right, that is The Little Mermaid. Something about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. 
All right. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. Make sure you tune in next week. We put out new episodes every Monday. And make sure you also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Nerd and Normie. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us like and subscribe. And if you're listening to the audio version, uh, just give it a five-star review. That really helps us out. Thank Thank you. you.